read to you um, an excerpt uh, that's related to an exploration in America. It says this. He dipped his hands into the icy water and he took a long, cool drink. Fifteen months of hard travel, a seemingly endless stream of days of back-breaking upstream slogging had led to this very moment. Meriwether Lewis recalled all that he had endured. Nervous nights in a strange land, mosquitoes galore, a dark, cold winter, grisly bears, a month-long portage around an immense waterfall, the death of a companion, but here he was. Lewis and a small scouting party had gone ahead of the rest of the uh, corps of discovery to try and make contact with the Shoshone tribe. They had followed a small trail up a creek, and now they are at the spring itself. This little trickle was the source of the mighty Missouri River. This water would flow all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. They had found what no person of European descent had before them. And the most, challenge, most challenging obstacle on their journey from what was then the United States to the Pacific Ocean was now behind them, or so he thought. For Meriwether Lewis, slaking his thirst from that little stream meant that he was about to realise the dream of centuries of pioneers to fulfil the ambitions of his president and enter into the pantheon of explorers. His name and his men could be remembered as the discoverers of the prized Northwest Passage. Lewis believed that he would walk up the hill, look down a gentle slope that would take his men half a day to cross with their canoes on their backs, and then they would see the Columbia River. After 15 months of going upstream, they looked forward to letting the current swiftly whisk them to the Pacific Ocean. They would crest the hill, find the stream, and coast to the finishing line. They could not have been more disappointed. What Lewis actually discovered was that 300 years of experts had all been completely and utterly wrong. In front of him was not a gentle slope to navigable rivers running to the Pacific Oceans, but the Rocky Mountains. Stretching out for miles and miles, as far as the eye could see, was one set of peaks after another. And he says, writes this, The road took us to the most distant fountain of the waters of the mighty Missouri, in search of which we have spent many toilsome days and restless nights. Thus far I had accomplished one of the great objects on which my mind had been unalterably fixed for many years. Judge then of the pleasure I felt in allaying my thirst with this pure, ice-cold water. Here I halted a few minutes and rested myself. Two miles below, McNeil had exultantly stood with a foot on each side of the river and thanked his God that he lived to be stride this mighty and heretofore deemed endless Missouri. After refreshing ourselves, we proceeded onto the top of the dividing range, which... I discovered immense ranges of high mountains still to the west of us, with their tops covered with snow. There was no northwest passage, no navigable river, there were no water routes. The driving assumption of the brightest and most adventurous entrepreneurial and creative leaders regarding this new world had been completely mistaken. This is this 
pivotal moment in the Lewis and Clark expedition across the US. If you know anything of the US history, you'll know something of the uh, 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 significance of this moment as they, as they sought to explore this new uh, uh, Louisiana purchase. And these experienced and knowledgeable men were absolutely undone by a hope that had been the premise of the expedition. It had been the premise of all their planning, of all their plotting, and all their walking, uh, and all their uh, uh, um, exploring. I wonder if you have ever had the breath knocked out of you by this same thing, by this human tendency to project a particular hope into the future that comes crashing down. Let me give you a few uh, examples. Um, read into these as you will. The prospect of learning to drive and owning a car can seem wonderful. We've had someone uh, here recently uh, pass the test. And the idea of uh, independence and freedom and staying down the open road with the combustion engine rattling beside you um, can seem intoxicating and, and, and something that uh, uh, many American movie has enjoyed. But there's a reality, isn't there, to driving? There are a lot of rules to follow. When you're a kid and the idea of a car comes to you, you don't realise how many rules you have to abide by. And suddenly you have to have a mechanical knowledge. Suddenly you have to know what it means when you have a flat tyre or no oil in the engine, no washer fluid in your jets, or something even worse. And there are so many expenses. Who knew that you have to have a, a sort of a vehicle excise duty, that you have to have insurance, that you have to pay for fuel, that you have to pay for a service, an LMOT, and all the delights that are wrapped up in going on the open road can suddenly be leached out. And it often feels, I don't know about you, but it often feels that the cars own us rather than we own the cars. And there are other truths too. We can feel loneliness. Or we can feel a frustrated sexual desire and we can long for companionship, someone else to share our life with. And we see in our mind's eye what that will look like. Our, our prospective partner, they will give us company, they will give us satisfaction, and they will give us worth by telling us how wonderful we are. The reality is, a spouse has all sorts of needs themselves. And that moment of self-realisation where you suddenly uh, uh, are all that you were meant to be disappears and suddenly you are sharing life rather than them serving you. You have to share the bathroom. A budget needs to be agreed on and kept to. You have to make compromises about everything. All these decisions that as a single person you made on your own, suddenly everything has to be agreed on and you have to make compromises. And you have to compromise everything from even your own body to raising the kids and it can be hard work. Last example I want to bring. We can sometimes feel poor, bored and useless. And when an opportunity of a job arises, 
We imagine our pockets full of cash and a sense of purpose. You know, suddenly we will be able to change the world and people will see that we are amazing and that we should really be in charge after all. But the reality can be quite different. The job brings stress. It brings strains on all our other commitments, on our family life, on our personal life, on our spiritual life. God forbid anyone asks us to work on a Sunday. The money is not even all ours. It gets taken away before it even gets put in the bank by taxes. And it is never enough to cover all the things that we think we'd like. And whether you are a brain surgeon or a street sweeper, you end up doing the same thing day in, day out. These projections of hope into the future, and then the cold hard pin that uh, bursts those bubbles, can be soul-destroying. And it reminds me of these words in James chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, turn to James chapter 4. It says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. That's settling. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Anyone that wants to come to church and feel that they're a beautiful snowflake, God loves and they're just magnificent and wonderful, enjoy this verse. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. If anyone's suffering from egotism this morning, uh, that's a lovely verse to minister to you with. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So often uh, the dawn of the new year is a time for ambition, for optimism, celebration, the little uh, fireworks hut that's by the, uh, the, the cabin uh, uh, down the, the dual carriageway to Horsham at Rex, and so the people buy fireworks, uh, and uh, there's a time of uh, a celebration. And people think they're going to eat less, uh, or eat less rubbish, and perhaps they're going to exercise more. Uh, gym memberships come up. Um, and they look perhaps for ways to improve their life. Perhaps they look for a dream job or a new kitchen or idyllic relationships or something else to really uh, spur things on. However, I don't think it has escaped anyone's notice that the prospects of this year are slightly different. We are seeing a vaccine rolled out, but we remain firmly in a pandemic in some wonderful, weird conditions, we are in like the highest tier of warning in the country. The coronavirus is behaving like all viruses do, and it's mutating and changing to become more effective, and it's developing different characteristics. 
God bless it. Uh, there is a particular strain here in the south of England, our own little strain of COVID, uh, that uh, increases the chance of transition by uh, transmission by 70%. Well, aren't we lucky? <laughs> the world has lived with COVID-19 for over a year now. It's interesting, isn't it? Has seen people die regardless of their nationality and culture and background. And we have seen businesses and culture and lifestyles all laid to waste. Who would have thought uh, at our New Year meeting in 2020 that we would all be stuck with masks around our head, with uh, gel on our hands and a prohibition to sing? How long will this pandemic last for? How long will we have to put up? Will we have to put so many things on hold? Will life ever return to the old familiar patterns, or has everything changed? Each of you have been thinking about that, and you have got your own perspectives. I think there are two equal and opposite errors that can be uh, um, the result of the same thinking that caused that shock to Lewis and Clark as they went up the Missouri River. It's a naive understanding that we would do well to avoid. First thing, we can resignedly look at our current circumstances. You can read the news, you can read the Daily Mail, and you can imagine that that is your future too. You can abandon friendships because they're not much use if you're stuck indoors. You can abandon all the connections that made life so vibrant. You can live isolated, get Tesco's delivery to your door, and be fearful of what's going to happen. Alternatively, we can imagine it's just a blip. You know, we've been hoping it's a blip for like the last 10 months or so. It's just a blip. Normal service is just around the corner. It's going to resume. Everything uh, I enjoyed before, it's all coming back soon. And both attempts are attempts to cope by committing to a particular understanding in the future. It's all going to go downhill or it's all going to get better. It'll be like this or that. The problem is the first approach will rob us of life, while the second, for the last 10 months, has led to disappointment because things haven't got better, have they? How can we look ahead into the next year? Neither giving up on joy or constantly having to resent reality. And I admit, I'm more of that second one, just constantly <laughs> resenting reality, not conforming to what I thought would have happened by now. Well, it seems a good idea to run back to Scripture, to run back particularly to the words of the Apostle Paul. Um, I didn't prime her in any way. Uh, but the uh, lighthouse worker that came on earlier uh, read from the exact bit, of script, uh, exact bit of scripture that I wanted to look at today. Of what you see, of all Paul's writings, his letter to the Philippians is the most edifying to read. It's the uh, greatest to enjoy. Romans is deep. Galatians tells us about grace. 1 and 2 Corinthians are very pragmatic. But in Philippians, 
Paul is upbeat, perpetually upbeat. Um, and he's writing to a community that he helped start, and it's just healthy. He's writing to a group, a church that just knows what it is to be church, and it's a, a delight to take in. There is very little criticising, very little disciplining. The Corinthians must feel quite hard done by. The letters they got and then the letters the Philippians got, I know which I would rather be a recipient of. There is just constant encouragement and it's just a real delight to dwell in the book of Philippians. It's very difficult not to read the, uh, the hymn at the start of the book. And this wonderful, lyrical rejoicing of Jesus and, and not fall in love with Jesus all over again because it's just so awesome. The uh, Bible translator and pastor, Eugene Peterson, says this. Philippians is Paul's happiest letter. And the happiness is infectious. Before we've read a dozen lines, we begin to feel the joy ourselves. The dance of words and the explanations of delight have a way of getting inside us. Did you read that? Then you go, you know, I might have a second look at this book. You know what, I might have uh, just passed over it or got through it, but I fancy giving it a go, another go. Well, with this in mind, we're going to spend the month of January in Philippines. Uh, there is a very short uh, reading plan, just a few verses a day to enjoy Philippines. By the way, uh, as an excerpt, there's been a guerrilla movement to read the Bible through a year. I was going to ask Bianca to champion it, because it seems really good. It's, it's not something uh, that I call gain traction, but lots of people have said yes, they're definitely up. Uh, so uh, I think people are going to do this, uh, read the Bible through a year with Nicky Gumbel, it's sort of the version Bible. Uh, a number of people have said that it completely uh, goes against my reading plans that I've got. But I'm just going to say, it's a really good idea, and there's room in church for more than my, just what I say. So uh, um, get on board with that. Um, and Philippians 1 can probably sit on top because it's only a couple of verses. Um, and so we're going to do a reading plan through Philippians. Um, our discipleship course on, when, on Tuesday, uh, we're going to resume that. That is based on, guess, Philippines. Um, and the Sunday talks are going to be based on Philippines. I thought January, often the darkest, hardest month. We're going to look at the brightest uh, of Paul's writings there. So uh, that's kind of uh, uh, the, the weeks ahead. And so I really pray that the Holy Spirit uses this book to increase our passion for Jesus. I don't know how many passion for Jesus is this morning. I want him to just fill your gaze, for the Holy Spirit to excite you at the prospect of meeting him, of us to follow him wisely and well and constantly. Now, interestingly, Paul writes his happiest letter while he is in prison. There is an imminent threat of execution over his head. He is expecting to die at any moment. I wonder what sort of correspondence you would come up with. What sort of tweets or Facebook updates that you would bring to your friends and family. Oh, I'm in prison. Oh, I love the Lord so much. He has done so much to me. My blessings overflow in this cold, damp place. But with such horrors... Paul is completely 
preoccupied with love. He is completely preoccupied with loving and helping the Christian community in Philippi. This group that just seems to be doing really well and he is just going all out to celebrate and lift them up and help them on. It's quite a challenging attitude, isn't it? I wonder how your attitude has been during the self-isolation prison of the pandemic. I wonder if your driving force has been to love other people. Paul is there up here and we wonder, can we do that too? Let me read some parting words of his in the book. It says this in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Recognise these words? Thank you, Sam. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding of God, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. How's your thought life? Are you good at that? Do you recognise your disciplines in his words? Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Can you say that? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether we are well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this through him who gives me strength. Yet yeah, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, only you. But even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Can you hear these words, this love, this devotion, this love? He's in prison and he's just saying, thank you for your gift. You know what? God is pleased with it. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 I think if we were to live by this short paragraph, our lives would be transformed. I think if you were to concentrate on doing what Paul says in Philippians 4, I think your life, your attitude, other people's perception of you would change radically. He tells us always to rejoice. We are to enjoy our commitment to our gracious God in all circumstances. 
You are in sickness, you are in health, you are in wealth, you are in poverty, you enjoy your communion with God. You don't enjoy your wealth, don't enjoy your health, don't enjoy your uh, uh, power or influence. In every circumstance, we find pleasure in our relationship with God. Instead of being eaten up by imagined worst-case scenarios, we just pray. Something comes to our mind, a fear starts to consume us. And Paul says, well, pray. Don't beat yourself up. Don't worry endlessly. Don't have sleepless nights, because you can't add a day or an hour or a minute to your life. Pray. Once we are in this place of communion with God, we can expect to receive health, wealth, happiness and uh, power? No. Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know what, whatever sickness, you're going to get better. Whatever poverty you're in, you're going to get richer. Whatever place of impotence you're in, you're just going to get more power. He doesn't say that. Peace will come. Peace to endure whatever circumstance. You may die tomorrow. I hope to God that's not true. But you may well suffer a terrible uh, event tomorrow. But you know what? The peace of God is there for you. That is the promise that Paul offers us. Peace. A calmness, an ability to deal with every situation. Sometimes our worst fears happen. And I'm really pleased that sort of uh, uh, this pandemic hasn't uh, damaged this congregation too much. But your worst fears are not your worst fears. The worst thing that you can imagine is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Our greatest treasure is our connection with our Saviour. That's your greatest thing. That's the, the priority. That's the thing above everything else. It's above your family. It's above your job. It's above your security. It's above your future. Your relationship with God is above everything else. And that can never be said. When Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, it's not I can do everything. I can be prime minister, or I can be an Olympic hero, or I can do something that no one else has done. It's I can cope with life and know his peace and do what he asks regardless of the situation. Paul knows and is in living in fear of dying the next day. He is expecting life to go really wrong with him in the next 24 hours. But he knows he can cope because Jesus loves him. He knows he can cope because God has got a peace that enables him to do everything that God has set before him. The service that God has for him, Paul can achieve, not because Paul is marvellous, but because Jesus is king. I love the end of that passage. Paul is not focused on feeling sorry for himself. <coughs> he is not focused on how all the things that he can't do. And that is really tempting in the pandemic. All the things that we can't do. Oh me, oh my, oh woe is me. He is not focused on that here. 
he is focused on blessing these people that have given him uh, uh, their encouragement. Instead, guys, of focusing on what we think should happen in 2021, <coughs> it is a holy discipline to love whatever circumstances come. To love deeply regardless of what tomorrow brings. We need to adapt to every deep valley. I pray to God that there won't be any more in this year to come, but there may be. And nevertheless, it's a holy discipline to love in those circumstances. I want to end with another quote uh, from the book um, with reflections on the expedition. What is needed? A spirit of adventure where there are new, unexpected discoveries and ultimately new perceptions. To be sure, this is an adapt or die moment. This is a moment when most of our backs are against the wall and we are unsure if the church will survive to the next generation. The answer is not to try harder, but to start a new adventure, to look over the next paths and let the assumptions of the past go. To see not the absence of a water route. I really pray that that is not your perspective in 2021. All the things that are missing, all the things that you regret, all the things uh, uh, that bring you down. Let us not see the absence of a water, fruit, a water route, but the discovery of new uncharted land. And it beckons us forward. Yes, in the face of uncertainties, in the face of fears and potential losses, to learn and be transformed. Please bear your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul's letter to the Philippines. We thank you for the wisdom contained within. Lord God, we look forward to the year ahead. Some of us are just hoping it'll all clear away and life will resume. Others are uh, just scared that they uh, uh, still may contract something. And others have got another opinion still. Lord God, I pray that whatever tomorrow brings, our relationship with you would be sound and solid. God, I pray that we would know the truth that through Jesus we can do all things through him who strengthens us. That, Lord God, whatever circumstance we face, that we can cope and know a peace from God because he is the one who sent us there. Lord God, um, I just lift this prayer up and I just pray it for our congregation in English. Uh, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen.